delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and welcome back to Everybody Trades. Hey, it's been, what, two or three weeks since we've done one of these, so I certainly thank you for your patience as I settle in to my new house. We've got a lot going on in my life, but fortunately, things are starting to slow down again, and I should have no trouble getting one of these out a week. I would like to thank for, well, the next few months or so, right? But yeah, speaking of housing, well, I've got some housing-related thoughts today based on a whole bunch of factors. And before I get into that, you know this is called Everybody Trades. And well, the reason I call it that is because I think on some level, every person, not only do they trade, they make value judgments and use their money accordingly, make trades based on those values. But also, I just think at a fundamental level, Everybody understands that process. So I thought that that was a good title for the show, if I may peel back the curtain for just a moment. And the thing about free, truly free trades is that they are mutually beneficial to both parties, both sides of the transaction, the buyer, the seller, however you want to look at it. Well, at least in the moment, right? Because here's the thing. Anytime somebody buys a house, for instance, well, In that moment, they're very much trading their down payment and mortgage, or just if they're paying cash, just writing a check. They're paying a direct amount of money and saying, I value this house more than the amount of money that I'm giving you. And conversely, on the other side, the sellers are saying, I value the money that you're giving me over possession of this house. So just by definition, both parties benefit. But then, of course, there's the future. Now, it could be that in a year or two, the value of that house skyrockets and the sellers may be kicking themselves. But on the other hand, the value of the house could drop as well, as we saw during the 2008 housing bubble, during that whole crazy period. Well, a lot of people who had houses that they thought were worth, say, half a million dollars, well, they were suddenly worth maybe half of that. And they were underwater on the house, could no longer afford the mortgage payments. Obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, those people would have not gone into that housing transaction. But again, we're not talking about hindsight. We're talking about in the moment. Now, what about what I'm going to then dub government transactions? Whether it's taxation, whether it's money printing, stimulus, whatever you want to call it, fees, any types of financial transactions, really they're the third man that is never actually invited, but just wiggles his way into the middle of any transaction between two peaceful individuals. And the problem is, is when the government starts forcing or altering or frankly fraudulently encouraging transactions, that's when it really causes problems. And again, let's go back to that 2008 housing bubble. I'm starting to wonder if we're doing it again. And part of what inspired this thought was that this morning I was listening to good old Jim Cramer on Squawk on the Street and also reading his the recap of his Mad Money show from the previous night. And in his No Huddle Offense segment, he was saying on his Mad Money show that the Fed Chairman Jay Powell, that's the Fed, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell, isn't getting enough credit for helping to save our economy. 
And he said, today we learned that the Fed's low interest rates led to 17% growth in new housing starts. And according to Kramer, housing accounts for a lot more than just 10% of our economy. And he says, low interest rates are bad if you're a bank. But for everyone else, it's a big win. So again, basically the case that Jim Cramer is making here is that, yes, for everyone, the cost of borrowing money, if that's cheaper, well, certainly, yes, that's awesome. He says it's awesome for everybody. But let's question that for a second. Now, certainly if you're a new home buyer like myself, yeah, honestly, clearly the lower the interest rate, the better. I'll I'll take it. I'm not going to complain about it. And certainly if you already own a home and low interest rates are are spurring the value of your house and just houses in general, a rising tide lifts all boats, if you will, well, then you're probably happy about it too. But what if you're a renter? Then what's it doing for you? Well, we've seen that if you're buying a new house right now, you're getting a lot better value buying an older house as opposed to a new construction or even worse, building your own new home right now. Because material costs to build homes just keep going up the last few years. And certainly, just as a bit of personal advice, if you are in the market for a new house right now, please buy. Really, don't build. You're just going to save yourself so much money and, frankly, hassle over the long term. You know, unless you're just in a special situation where you truly believe that hey, I can afford it, this is the place I'm going to be for 20 or 30 years, well, then I won't run out and stop you. But for most people, I'm just telling you the most modern stuff, the most perfect house you can imagine. I mean, there's always going to be something about a house that you don't like, even if you build it yourself, something you didn't think of. So just accept that reality. And just like Frankly, you should buy a car that's two or three years old instead of a brand new one, just in terms of pure value and investment. Not It's not an investment, but just less depreciation in an asset. Let's put it that way. Over a long term, that's my quick personal advice there. But again, back to the topic at hand, the people in this country who can't afford a house, who are renting, who are perhaps living paycheck to paycheck, Maybe they're able to put a little bit away. Well, what little bit they put away in the bank right now, you're lucky to get 1% interest rate on a savings account at this point. I saw an ad the other day where this company was acting like, oh my God, we'll give you 2% interest rate. Oh my goodness, I'm going to get so rich with 2% a year. Compounding interest, man, look out everybody. I mean, seriously. The idea that 2% is something to write home about just tells you where we are in this economy, for sure. And it just tells you that, frankly, it's been an artificially low interest rate. And it has been for years, for perhaps even decades at this point. Because if there was really a market out there for people to get interest on their money from a bank, well, the interest rates would probably be better than that, wouldn't they? Except, oh, wait. I'm going to now argue with myself and really blow your mind. Where is this idea that just keeping your money in the bank year after year, why should that just automatically yield you money? Where is that written in stone? Where did this whole idea come from? Well, I'll tell you where it came from. It came from our entire banking system. This idea that we just need to keep spending money. Money just needs to keep 
exchanging hands. The, the more transactions we have, the better. As long as more money is just simply being lent out over and over again, there's this endless cycle of lending, well, then everything will be great. Because somehow in the Keynesian world, nobody's ever going to be left holding this bag at the end. Well, during this coronavirus period, how many millions of people, how many tens of millions of people have we put out of work? So what's the answer to that right now? Well, according to the Republican Party, they want to print or spend, whatever you want to call it, another $1 trillion that the United States government, frankly, does not have. But of course, $1 trillion to the Democratic Party is not enough. So they're proposing $3 trillion and naturally accusing the GOP of being heartless monsters for only wanting to spend $1 trillion. Well, my question is, if I would have said, if I would have came out in this podcast and said $5 trillion should be the next stimulus, would that have made me the ultimate hero in all of the American political landscape? Again, just like with everybody trades, and that I assume that almost every person has some basic understanding of how trades and give and takes transactions actually work, I'd like to think that on some level, almost anybody who can hear my voice right now, certainly you in this audience, you can understand that this is an insane argument, right? We're arguing over $1 trillion or $3 trillion. It might as well just all be monopoly money at this point in terms of the actual argument. But of course, in reality, if this comes to pass, and I got to assume if that's where we're starting, if that's the argument is between $1 and $3 trillion, well, it sure seems like there's going to be trillions of dollars more money entering the quote-unquote U.S. economy. So the obvious question is, is where does all that money go? Well, it certainly doesn't evenly distribute out to every single one of us in the economy. It certainly doesn't evenly distribute to every single small business and every kid and, and schoolhouse, whatever it might be. No, that money flows somewhere. And even if every man, woman, and child in this country got the exact same amount of money, well, those people would still have ideas on the, where that money would go. And what we've seen over and over again, and we've certainly seen it with housing in this country for decades, and that's that a lot of that money goes into the housing market because people expect over time that the value of their houses is going to go up. You have to question why that is, but that's just the reality of the situation. But then secondly, especially at this point in the cycle, and by the cycle I mean the amount of money and just the cycle of, well, frankly, just where the stock market is, is what I'm trying to say. Obviously, the stock market, you know, since the, gosh, 2009 or so, since Obama or his early term, it's been kind of a slow and steady climb, hasn't it? Certainly has under the Trump administration his first term as well. Well, regular people notice that. And if regular people are going to start getting even more money, well, they're going to start putting it into the stock market just like they did and do in the housing market. That's all there is to it. So basically what I'm trying to say is as much of a bad omen as I believe 
having paying tens of millions of people to not work, to not actually produce anything, and then just print trillions and trillions of incomprehensible amounts of money to almost anyone, including myself, frankly. How do you comprehend a trillion dollars? But it's just all meaningless. That's the whole point. At least in theory, it's meaningless. None of it's going to work, but it's going to, again, it's going to have effects. And I think ultimately the effect is more inflation of the housing bubble and frankly, the stock market bubble to some extent. So, you know, and I've noticed more and more people in my life are asking me about stocks. And normally that's a very worrying sign, a worrying sign of a top in the market, at least if you're a market bull is what I'm saying. Because normally when those people are getting interested, the trade is getting very, very long. But again, if there's going to be a trillion more dollars out there, well, that, that money's going to go somewhere. It's going to go to the hot areas. And I believe that's the stock market. And I believe it's the housing market, at least for now. And especially in a world where all the other, the euro, all other currencies are being inflated as well. You think the Chinese government is, you think they have a sound currency? No, they do not, my friends. I can promise you that. So really, in a lot of ways, at least for now, the U.S. dollar is still, to put it, to use a housing analogy, it's still the best house in a really bad neighborhood. So even even foreign money, foreign investors, you know, there's real growth in capitalism and trade happening throughout the world. That's causing real real changes in the world market and these people want to they want to maybe get out of some of their bad you know home currencies that they have maybe they trust the dollar a lot more than they trust you know the chinese yen for instance the yuan i always mess that one up it's the japanese yen and the chinese yuan there we go now i got it right i mean really i i i happen to be friends with some chinese people and they definitely have asked me, like, hey, what should I do with my money? In other words, I got to get it out of China. There's plenty of people like that throughout the world who are professionals, who've done okay for themselves, who've saved some, some, some of their wealth away, and by God, they don't want to see it go away. And they trust the U.S. dollar for as flawed as it is a heck of a lot more than they do their currencies from home. And honestly, I don't blame them. At the same time, got to be diversified. Heck, own a house. Just don't own more house than you can afford, okay? Own some stocks. Just don't put all your money into stocks. And by golly, own some Bitcoin too. That wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either. All right, thanks for joining me once again. And thank you so much for your patience as it took me a while to get out this latest episode. But hey, I think I'm back in the fold. I'm back in the, back in the saddle. I'm back in everything. <laughs> Back, back in the, what am I trying to say? Boy, I did not sleep well last night. Can you tell? I, I'd like to think not. I think I pulled this one off. But anyway, I'm going to get out of here as my brain is clearly starting to shut down. So until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Everybody Trades. Everybody Trades.